everyone. Thanks for tuning into the message podcast of French Church. My name is Alessandra. I'm one of the team members here, and we're so glad that you're joining us. It's been really encouraging to hear stories from people all over the country and the world who are listening in. We really hope that our messages are resonating with you. We also wanted to say thank you to those who are contributing to Friends Church. All of the things we're able to do, it's because of people who donate regularly. Even small, consistent gifts help a lot. If you haven't had the chance yet to give, I would encourage you to maybe think about doing that, especially if it's been beneficial in your own journey. To do that, it's really easy. Just go to our website, friendschurch.ca, and click on the Donate tab, or download our Friends Church app and click on the Give tab. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this week's message. I want to wish uh, all the mothers, all the different kind of mothers out there, a happy Mother's Day. You know, I learned early on, um, because of divorce in my family, that uh, mothers can take all shapes and sizes. I had stepmoms. Um, I had friends, moms who were moms to me, uh, whether I wanted them to be or not growing up. Uh, a lot of different people, and, and probably there are um, some people out there who fall into a whole bunch of different categories of moms. And we want to acknowledge you this morning. I'm thinking about the new moms who just uh, gave birth this past year or recently. Thinking about the experienced moms out there, the repeat moms, the mothers to be, the mothers to be one day, perhaps. Those that are trying to be moms. Um, thinking about the fill in moms out there, the adopted moms, the mothers to angels. I'm thinking about all the stepmoms out there, the mother-in-laws, the grandmoms who are raising grandkids. Thinking about the fur moms out there that have their own fur babies. I'm thinking about all the motherly types, even the dads who are doing double duty, playing mom as well. Look at y'all deserve a huge hug and a thank you. And, you know, under these conditions, we don't get to take you all out. We don't get to celebrate maybe in a restaurant or the way that we normally would. But we want you to know we're thinking about you and we're so grateful for the role that you played in our lives. So, uh, yeah, we raise our virtual glasses to you this morning. Happy Mother's Day. You know, this past week is... is uh, it was some tough news we got here in Alberta that we were under another lockdown, and I'm, uh, I'm not fooled. You know, there's some people that are struggling under this, and if, uh, if that's you out there, maybe you're just kind of in a dark place or struggling through it, you know, please, would you, uh, reach out to someone, reach out to us. We just want to get through what hopefully will be our last push before life turns a little bit brighter. And uh, yeah, thinking about you out there. Huh. Okay, so just curious if anyone out there watching uh, enjoys finding a good deal as much as I do. 
Man, I, I love, all right. I said, you know, with the skeleton crowd we got here, I saw two hands just go up. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, we got some deal hunters out there. I'm sure there are many more that are listening to this right now who loves finding a smoking deal. I mean, hey, there's good deals you can find in stores, and I, I, that's great. And I know that there's some people, you know, you find a flyer that's, you know, promoting some big sale, you jump on it. That's great. Man, some of the best deals I find, Kijiji, Facebook Marketplace, you know, you hear about it in a state sale sometimes. Like the real, the real deals can be found in some of those places. Man, there's nothing like it. Uh, the thrill of finding something valuable that the seller doesn't even understand. You know, like there's that, you know, they're, they're, they're going, I don't know, like what that thing is worth. But hey, give me 20 bucks for it. In your mind, you're going, do you have any idea? It's like, honey, start, start the car. I got one. I got a big fish on the line, you know. I found one about a year ago. I was hunting for a tool. I think I might have told this. I can't remember, but I, uh, I needed a miter saw. I was looking for a 12-inch double bevel sliding miter saw. Love my tools. Anyways, I knew what new ones cost. And I had just kind of been flipping through uh, all the different avenues to find if there's a used one out there. Sure enough, some guy puts it out there. I knew the second I saw that thing, that I had a big fish on the line. I called him, he says, man, my phone is ringing off the hook. I said, look it, I'm coming, I'll take it. He's like, well, I, I, I don't do that. You show up first come first serve. I said, I am on my way. I grabbed Austin, I said, get in the truck, we're going. We get over there, he rolls up his garage door. I see the thing, I hardly even looked at it. I, I knew the brand. It was sitting on this portable stand, this mobile stand that he was selling included in the deal. Like, I'm just like, I'll take it, I'll take it. He said, do you want to hear it run? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And so he, he, pl- he plugs it in and I flipped it on. It kind of made an interesting sound, but I thought, ah, I'll take it. I pulled out the cash. I didn't even barter with him. I knew I had a great deal. I said, Austin, let's get this thing loaded up. We got in the truck. I am high-fiving Austin. I'm like, that guy doesn't know what he just did. Oh, man. And I was telling him, I said, we bought this brand new. This is what we'd be paying. Man, that might I just went through the whole thing. Dad, he's like, Dad, you found a good one. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, man. We get it home. We get it all set up. I, I... Dad says, well, Austin says, oh, the, the blade guard's cracked. I said, yeah, 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 we'll order another one. That's fine, we'll, we'll get that. He's like, oh, this, this one knob is, looks like it's missing on this one part. I said, oh, well, you know what? Pfft, no problem. We'll just order that same time as the blade guard. I go to start up, and it's like, it makes this loud noise. I'm like, that doesn't sound healthy. Hmm. Well, we'll have to look into that. It might be the belt in there. Well, you know what? Hey, if we're making an order, we can just order a belt. Like, big deal. I go to cut a piece, set it to zero. Zero degrees should be cutting a 90. I can tell something's off. <laughs> I'm like, huh, that's weird. It's not cutting 90 degrees. It took me about 10 minutes to realize the big fish was uh, maybe a minnow. <laughs> This thing had seen its better days. And in fact, 
I was starting to question whether I got duped. Austin didn't want to say anything. He's like, well, Dad, you know, maybe we can just kind of jimmy this thing. I'm getting this sick feeling in my stomach. I go online to start ordering parts. Nope. I can't order parts for this saw. I had trouble telling Austin. <laughs> He's like, so you get the part? And I'm like, I can't get the parts. He's like, what? Of course you can get the parts. I said, I don't know if it's pandemic. I don't know what it is, but these parts are nowhere to be found. You ever been scammed? Ever got duped? Maybe, uh, maybe it was by someone you didn't know. Maybe it was by someone you did know. It kind of pulled one over on you. Maybe they didn't want you to really know. It was just really a subtle thing. You know, I hear these kinds of stories. You know, someone want, I was all of a sudden really friendly with someone, and then they find out they actually wanted to ask them for something. I was like, oh, that's why you're being so friendly. You know, you lend something to someone and then you notice one day, wait, they never brought that thing back. You loan someone some money and then you don't hear from them. <laughs> These kinds of experiences are all kind of tied into the topic today. And maybe before I get into it, I should just tell you, we're, we're beginning a new series today. It's, uh, it's focused around a question. The question is, what kind of person are you becoming? We're taking four weeks to focus on character qualities that lead to lives that matter, truly matter, that will make a positive impact in our world. That is what you're, you're wanting, right? Like, you just need to know our assumption as to why you'd be tuning in to listen to this thing, why many of you have been showing up on Sundays while you're maybe listening to the podcast is because probably, well, we believe that's what you're after. You, you want to be a person who's in the process of becoming something, morphing and changing into a more perhaps spiritually aware person, more loving, more unselfish perhaps, more kind, more inclusive, you're doing Friends Church because just eating, sleeping, and paying tax, taxes and, and everything else just isn't quite enough. It isn't enough for us. No. We're after something that's going to lead us to our divine potential. We realize how easy it is to just kind of stay the person we are. Isn't it true? That's easy. We're creatures of habit, of comfort pattern. We get into a rut and we just kind of follow that thing. Change is hard. Change is hard. You know, I've been playing golfers telling some guys this morning for uh, 40 years. And I, I got into some patterns, swing patterns. I started taking lessons during the lockdown. 
They started telling me some of the things I'm doing wrong. Now I'm standing up to the ball. Recently, I'm out playing. Do you know how hard it is to unlearn to change something you've been doing for so long? It's tough. When someone signs up for the spiritual gym, it says something about you. It says there's part of my life I want to renovate. I want to become something more, something different, something better. I want to become someone better. Well, we want to help with that. And this series is designed to speak to some things that we think can do that. There was a, there's a story in the Bible of a guy who did this very thing. He morphed from one kind of person into another kind. Actually, he, he started off as kind of a con. And he became like a pretty significant spiritual player in the grand scheme of things in the biblical narrative. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name was Jacob. This guy was a little bit of a... Ah, well, yeah, he was a little bit sleazy. Underhanded. He was... Uh, one day, he, he caught his brother in a bit of a weak moment. His brother Esau. Esau had been out hunting. Esau was your man's man. He was the old, there were twin brothers. Esau was kind of this real rugged, I picture him as this real rugged, masculine guy. He's out hunting. He comes back one day. Of course, you know, there's no fast food joints in that time. He, he comes home. He is starving. Jacob had been in the house cooking up this lentil stew. I could imagine Esau walking in the house going, oh man, does this smell good. He walks into the kitchen, says, Jacob, how about I... You give me a bowl of that. And rather than just being a nice brother and saying, okay, here, let me dish you up something. Jacob says, how about we make a deal? I'll give you some of this stew. You give me your birthright. Now, I know we don't talk a lot about words like birthright today, but back in that day, in that culture, the eldest son in patriarchal environments, the, the eldest son would, would be granted what they would call the birthright. It would give them kind of a double portion of the estate when their father had passed away. It would also kind of give them head of household duties, responsibilities. They'd kind of become the big man on campus when dad passed away. They'd call the shots. Jacob wanted the birthright. He didn't get it because Esau was older. He says, look it, you get the stew, I get the birthright. Now he must have caught Esau in a real weak moment because Esau says, fine, have it, give me the stew. <laughs> dirty, dirty pool. I mean, it really wasn't a fair exchange, but the kind of Jacob the kind of guy that Jacob was, he fits well into what is known as the trickster archetype. Have you heard of trickster? Trickster was kind of uh, this type of person. Didn't even have to be a person. This model of a being that was kind of clever, mischievous, a trickster had the ability to get what it was that they wanted using mild or extreme forms of trickery. Sometimes tricksters did it for amusement, to just play with their foes. 
Sometimes it was a means of, sur- a means of survival in a dangerous world. Ancient mythology was filled with stories of trickster gods, especially in the, in the Norse mythology, in the Greek mythology, Loki, Odysseus. In our modern culture, the, the most popular tricksters we got, we see in movies or on TV. You know, we maybe grew up with cartoons of Bugs Bunny pulling it over on Elmer Fudd or Yosemite Sam. They're always leaving them so frustrated. They were wily, you know, they could pull it out, get what they wanted, always leaving, you know, these guys frustrated and on the losing end. Tricksters like Jack Sparrow and Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> Joker and the Batman, and of course our favorite trickster of them all, Bart Simpson. Man, that guy always had his way with everyone, didn't he? These characters who were so cunning and sharp, often able to get what they wanted without the use of force. They didn't have power. They weren't bigger than everyone. They weren't necessarily faster, but they were clever. Leaving their opponents often feeling duped and scammed, angry. This was who Jacob was. Not just not so much in an entertaining way. You know, it's hard finding evidence of these characters way back, but I went digging through the archives. I actually found a picture of Jacob. Um, I don't know if, you, uh, if you've seen this. Uh, anyways, I had to go back a long way. Uh, Jacob was sleazy, man. He was, you know, there was this one time Jacob's blind father Isaac is laying on his deathbed. And it was at that moment he knew death was imminent. And he called out for Esau, his oldest son. And he said, Esau, I want you to come. I want you to prepare me a meal. And I want to prepare to give you my blessing. You know, this was kind of a formal ceremony where they would would give a patriarchal blessing. They would cement the birthright. Jacob catches wind of this. And while Esau is out getting ready to put this whole meal together for his father, Jacob rolls in, dresses up like Esau. And even though his dad is suspicious, he finally convinces him that he is, in fact, Esau, standing in the room beside him. His dad even felt his arms. He did did all this stuff. Finally, he goes, okay. That's you, Esau? All right. And he gives them his patriarchal blessing, cementing the birthright. Jacob scams his way into getting what was rightfully his older brothers. Sleazy. Underhanded. Esau comes back not knowing anything that's happened. And he is ripped apart by it. He's like, please, Dad, you, you got it. It's me. You, you can undo this. And, Jake, and Isaac is going, no, son, I can't undo this. It left Esau so bitter. He said, I will mourn my dad's loss, his passing, 
and then I will kill Jacob. Jacob caught wind of the plan and he ran for his life. He left. He, he ran away from home, ran into exile where he would spend the next 20 years of his life estranged from his brother. You know, here's the thing about tricksters. Trickster behavior. You know, you can figure out sneaky ways to get what you want, but man, I tell you, you don't often make friends in the process. Isn't it true? Getting something using trickery often leads to losing something else. You win, but you lose. A number of years ago, I was getting together with a bunch of guys. We'd get together at a pub not far from here. There'd be about 12 of us. We'd hang out over beer and wings, and we'd sit and chat, catch up on life. At the end of the night, this one night, um, the bill got brought to the table, and uh, everyone started pulling out their wallets and throwing money in the table, you know, and one guy said, hey, look, at, I'll, I'll take care of the bill. Or, like, I'll organize all the... We were like, oh, please do. And so he's gathering up all the cash or whatever, and he wasn't sitting far from me. He pulled out his own credit card and just said, hey, look, at, put the whole thing on this credit card, and I'll just take the cash. And so the waitress comes and starts processing everything, and he asks everyone around the, around the table, he says, does anyone want this receipt? Because if not, I'm taking it. And it caused kind of a mm, funny feeling around the table. Everyone was like, okay. You know, this guy ran his own business. It was pretty obvious he planned on using the receipt as a kind of a tax break for him. You know, run it through as a business expense. A couple of us kind of, uh, you know what, can you get away with it? Yeah. No one said anything, but... And then he was saying, you know, with this credit card, this kind of credit card in restaurants, man, the points you get are crazy. So we're like, yeah, hey, makes sense. You might as well. Didn't say anything about it. The next three, I think it was about three times, we all got together. This guy was quick to say, hey, I'll take care of everything. Well, we saw the pattern, right? And it was like, okay, whatever, whatever. But then one of the nights we were getting together, it was a smaller group of us. That guy was missing. The waitress who always served our table, she came up to us, just a couple of us, and she said, can I ask you something? Have I done something to upset you guys? It just seemed so odd that she would ask us that. We're like... Uh, no, why would you ask that? She said, well, the last number of times your big group has come together, she said, I feel, I feel awkward even saying this, but I, I have to ask because I, I think I might have done something. She said, you guys have hardly even tipped me. And she says, I don't know if some of you know that or... By that point in this small group, everyone was listening. And we're appalled. 
Because we all know that this group sitting around that table are a generous group of guys. We were th- always throwing in way more than our fair share to make sure she was well taken care of. So we're like, no, that can't be. She says, I'm, I'm being honest. It, it, and she, when she told us how much she was getting, oh, our skin was crawling. It didn't take a rocket scientist in, our, in that moment for all of us to connect the dots. Here's this guy getting the tax receipt, getting the points off his credit card. And he's cutting out the tip so that perhaps he's eaten free and maybe even pocketing a little cash. Now, this, this was bes- like beyond our comprehension. Why? Like, why would a guy be doing this? Like, for the... This guy is not broke. He's not in trouble. Like, why would a guy do that? That is full-blown sleazy trickster. Like, why do people engage in trickster behavior? I, I think probably... And, and without even knowing his story, and I haven't, and I didn't even talk to him about it, I'm guessing perhaps there was just a little bit of greed. Maybe in his mind he was able to justify why he did what he did. Puts a little extra money in his pocket. Hey, that waitress had a lot of tips that night. She's doing well. But I don't know what went through his mind. Greed sometimes is what fuels that kind of behavior. I think perhaps sometimes some will do it out of a competitive nature. They like to win. And so they'll engage in trickery to kind of feel a sense of win and the other person loses. And and winning at all costs, even if it means someone else has to pay for it. There's that sense of kind of achievement or sense of winning. Maybe we've all known someone that's like that. I I think some do it out of maybe a scarcity mentality where they feel like they need to engage in kind of this trickster behavior where they pull one over or they, they get something because they're fearful that there isn't enough for everyone. Someone is going to have to win. Someone's going to have to lose. And it might as well be me winning. So they engage in this kind of thing, thinking I might not have enough, so I need to do this. In this day and age, when there is as much fear of having enough, there's a lot of people resorting to all kinds of underhanded trickster behavior in their mind, justifying because they don't know what next month might hold. So they're pulling little things underhanded. And in their mind, they feel justified. Ah, there could be a million different reasons why people do this kind of stuff. Perhaps you would have reasons why you think people do this. But here's the thing. Regardless of the reasons behind it all, there are repercussions. Undeniable repercussions for trickster behavior. This guy who has been one of the guys for so long, something shifted that night for every one of us who knew him. 
I got a long history with this guy. Much of it has been great, but I tell you, my trust in that guy, it just says something about someone, doesn't it? If they're willing to do that, what else are they willing to do? When are they going to turn it on me? That guy's reputation that day took a major hit. And I know he's been feeling it ever since. Whatever financial bonus, whatever little thing he got as a kickback for that effort, it cost him way more in the long run. Likely you've seen this. You know, it's that person at the office that takes credit for something that someone else did. Oh, it felt good in the moment. But then word got out. Someone figures out a way to get out of a a bunch of hard work, leaving others to have to do it. Oh, it felt wonderful in the moment. But the residue that it had on those others looking and going, that weasel, trickster. Tricksters, tricksters will get laughs at someone else's expense. They'll get everyone laughing. Oh, you're so funny. At someone else's expense. And meanwhile, that person's looking at them going, you jerk. Someone will gossip about someone to make themselves look better. In the moment, they feel so good. Oh, there's a price to pay for that when it gets out. You see, there are so many different ways trickster behavior surfaces, ways to game the system to ensure that the table's always kind of slanting in your direction. The trickster believes they're winning while someone else is losing. But guaranteed, when the game gets figured out, there is a withdrawal of trust. There is considerable damage to one's reputation. There is disdain. There's resentment. To the extreme where you got an Esau saying, I will kill you. There are some people that just vow, just vow, I will get you back. It may not be today, but I'm coming. Tricksters live looking over their shoulder. That's terrible. You see, tricksters, the whole thing is based on a win-lose. Someone has to lose in order to win, which is fine when you're winning. It's the most amazing thing when you pull out the win. The problem with this is that life has this sneaky way of evening the score. World religions have been speaking about this for a long time. Like Buddhism refers to it as karma. You know, what goes around comes around. The Bible's version of that, you will reap what you sow. (laughs) Eventually the trickster gets out tricked. So it's funny, Jacob, running for his life, takes off, and he goes a long way. He goes into a, like a distant land, 
and tracks down his uncle, Uncle Laban. Anyways, he ends up staying with Uncle Laban and working for him. Pretty soon Laban figures out that, man, Jacob has no plans of leave, leaving, <laughs> leaving his place. He's like, well, hey, you're working for me. Maybe we could work out a deal here. You know, they're not, they don't have necessarily the currency. It's all barter system. So he's like, hey, what kind of arrangement can we make for your labor? Jacob knew right away what he wanted. He was smitten by one of Laban's daughters, her, his youngest daughter, Rachel. He says, I'd like to marry Rachel. Now, if you're paying attention, you realize Rachel is Jacob's first cousin. All right? Like, this is like a little backwoodsy, right? Like, you know, like, okay, so I digress. Let's leave that detail alone, all right? Back in that day, all right, teach their own. Um, anyways, he says, I want to marry Rachel. And he says, like, that's a problem because Jacob has no money. And then back in that day, you didn't get to just marry anyone you wanted. You had to pay a dowry to the father to essentially buy your wife. He says, Laban, here's what I'll do. I'll work for you for seven years. Laban says, okay, let's do it. Fast forward, seven years later, Jacob comes to Laban and says, woohoo, seven years, buddy. It's my time. I get Rachel as my wife. So the Bible tells us that Laban throws a big wedding feast, and it's a rager. Like, the wine is flowing. Jacob likely gets hammered. That's kind of what you can read through the lines. He gets carried back to his wedding chamber. He's not in good shape. And his father-in-law ushers Leah, his oldest daughter, to the wedding chamber with Jacob. Jacob is not in his right mind. He has no idea. And there he consummates the wedding, the marriage, with Leah, not Rachel. Leah would be the older, less desirable daughter in this story. So the next morning, Jacob wakes up to say good morning to his beautiful Rachel. And he goes, <laughs> You're not, you're not Rachel. She says, good morning, husband. And he's like, is this kind of some kind of sick joke? Like, where's Rachel? He goes running to his father-in-law. Says, what the heck, man? We had a deal. Laban says, pal, that's not the way it works. We would, I would never give away my youngest daughter before my oldest daughter. No way. No, you have Leah. That's the way it works. Now, I'll throw in a maid. All right, you can have Leah and her maid. But if you want Rachel, you got to work another seven years. How funny. The trickster gets out tricked. He gets punked by his uncle. That is so hilarious. Like when you look at the story, you just go, yeah, man. What goes around comes around, Jacob. (laughs) 
Oh, geez. Eventually, someone bigger, someone smarter, someone faster finds a way to take the trickster's lunch. That's the way life seems to work. Sometimes it's the company, the government, the big business. It could be the in-laws. It could be a neighbor. It could be your kids. You punk your kids long enough and it comes back. You punk your spouse. It might be your spouse that comes back. It might just be some random guy that doesn't appreciate being taken. And he shows up one day. Life has a way. You know, sometimes the consequences, they're stiff and they're immediate. You feel it coming back. But sometimes there's a lag. You think you got away with it. They just slide into your DM. Hi, honey. I'm pregnant. It could look like so many. And we have watched the number of stories over these last number of years of how trickster behavior came back to haunt many. Have you ever watched a trickster getting paid back? Maybe you felt being paid back personally. I don't want you to think that I have never played trickster. I have. I remember one time a friend lent me his car. Um, our car was being fixed. And he said, hey, take my car. And I was like, oh, no. And, and then I did. I was grateful for it. I was in a parking lot. And I backed up the car. And I heard a crunch. And I was sick. I got out. You know, I pulled the car forward. I got out. And I'm looking at the back of the car. And there's no damage. I'm just like, oh, there is a God. I got away with this. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see any damage. I returned the car and I never said a thing. Trickster. Three weeks, I'm guessing, somewhere around there, because it seemed like quite a while later, he phoned me and he asked me, he said, hey, Jeff, did like, anything happen to the car? Like, did you, like, while you were driving... And at first I was like, no. And then in the back of my mind, I remembered. I had that parking lot incident, but I didn't hit any. I like, I didn't, it didn't show any damage. So I said, no. I, what I didn't know is that his exhaust system got crumpled. It hit the muffler and bent the muffler back. He said, okay, cool. I just... I, I got an exhaust issue and it cost a lot of money to fix. Now my heart's racing. I'm just like, oh my God. I wonder if I did that. And I never said a thing. That friendship soured just a bit. 
and the number of times I just went, oh my God, I can't believe I lied. I he was such a good friend. You just go, oh, jeez. To this day, I've never admitted to him. They say some of the greatest tricksters end up being the loneliness, loneliest. And, you know, even after that experience, look, I got lots of friends, but I can see how that behavior, it can spoil stuff and pull people away. What goes around comes around. A couple months ago, I decided after buying that stupid, lousy saw that I was probably, it was probably time to just unload it. It was a big boat anchor. I was trying to clear it on my garage. It was just, it was, it was a painful memory every time I looked at that thing. I said, okay, I got, I, got to, I got to sell that. It'll be good for someone. I mean, it cuts. So then I'm in this quandary. Well, how much do I sell it for? I'm like, you know what? Anyone buying used buys as is. If they're sucker enough to buy it, that's not my problem. That's what was going through my mind. The trickster was coming out in me. My son asked me, he says, how much are you selling it for? Then I'm looking at my kid. Thinking, geez, he knows. Do I try to get my money out of it? Do I fess up? Oh, I want to sound like a hero this morning. Man, I tell you, I sold it for half, and that was painful. I'm saying, man, I took a hit on this thing. But I couldn't escape the sick feeling inside me thinking, one day, One day it's going to come back. That guy is going to get the same feeling you had. What is that about, Jeff? Is that what you're about? Is that the person you're becoming? Is that who you are? I was in a war with my conscience. Have you ever battled your conscience over something like this? Jacob ends up working another seven years for the dowry to earn his now wife, Rachel. Things get tense, though. Obviously, this trickery going back and forth with him and his father-in-law, he says, we're out of here. He packs up all his stuff, and he heads to go back home to his homeland. And it's an interesting part of the story. He sends his, his wives, I know that sounds crazy, and his, and his livestock and everything that he had accumulated over the time that he had spent with his father-in-law, he sent them ahead. And he's alone one night, and he's attacked by some mystery attacker. They began fighting. They fought for hours through the night. You know, there's a lot of commentary over who this mysterious attacker was because the, the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly what this was, this person. But there's this one Jewish rabbi who had a very interact, uh, interesting take on this. He suggested that it was in fact Jacob's own conscience who he was wrestling with that part of him that was calling him to rise above the trickster impulses that had ruled him for so long. 
to stop resorting to this, this trickery, this cleverness and fraud to get what he had always wanted. Come on. To become a man of character, someone of character, someone who could be trusted. It's interesting in the arc of Jacob's story, and we're going to be talking about it over the next few weeks. But something shifted. This marked a change in the life of, Mar- of Jacob, where the old trickster started to get left behind. You know, sometimes the spiritual journey, it flies in the face of conventional wisdom, in the face of trickster mentality that says you need to do this. You owe, you, you, that you owe this to yourself. You deserve this. All the different rationality that we find. Spirituality flies in the face of it. Jesus was continually saying things that were poking at the trickster mentality that was so prevalent in that day. He'd say, yeah, you've heard an eye for an eye. Yeah, someone screws you. Yeah, screw them back. You've heard that thing? Yeah, you know what? How about if someone hits you, you turn the other cheek and let them hit the other one? How about you love your enemy rather than getting even? He says, in this, in this realm that I'm talking about, in this spiritual way of being in this world, actually, it's not the winners always that end up at the top. It's not always the first. In fact, the first are often last. And it's the last that are first. The servants, not the lords, not the masters, are greatest in this realm. His focus was not always on what you were getting and what you were achieving and what you were winning in life, which was the measurement of the day, which is the measurement of today. It was about becoming the kind of person you were becoming. Who are you down deep? What guides you? What, what guides your decisions that, that chooses the way you interact with your world? He was continually exposing trickster behavior. He would look at the spiritual leaders of that time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He's going, you're trickster. You're lying. You're telling these people, this is what you got to do. You're frauds because you're not doing it and I know it. Quit lying. He took Zacchaeus, probably one of the most corrupt tricksters of the day, a tax collector extorting people, pulling all kinds of underhanded means to gain wealth. We don't know what he said, but that day Zacchaeus is looking at Jesus in the eyes and saying, all right, I'm paying back what I've ripped people off of. I'm going to make this right. Jesus is going, come on, pal. That's it. That's it. That's it. looking at people continually saying, I don't know what your, mo- mo- your motives are here, but listen to me, you'll have enough. You'll be okay without resorting to that. You are enough. You don't need to pull, trickster. Let me ask you something in closing. Do you have trickster tendencies inside of you? Are there little things you find yourself doing that are creating kind of win-lose scenarios in your life? You know, you, you got an opportunity today. I'm realizing I've got an opportunity to make some choices. Even to go back and fix something. To 
fess up, to just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I blew it there. And riding the ship, ending it, pulling out a trickster and saying, that's not who I am. That's not who I'm becoming. You'd, you'd be shocked what happens when we do that. Is there some part of your life where competitiveness is getting the best of you? Greed is getting the best of you. Scarcity, this fear of not having enough is getting the best of you. Can you see it even? Could you operate this week a little differently? Rather than trying to get the credit, could you give someone else the credit? Could you let someone else win? Could you, rather than trying to hoard, could you act generously and avoid the trickster from surfacing? Let me tell you something. If you're here, if you're listening to me on podcast, whatever, our assumption is you're doing this to change, to become someone. Would you take this seriously? And, and, and confront your trickster, your inner trickster, and make your world a bit better. That's your challenge this week. I guarantee you, you do that. You make your world better. And you know what? You'll look in the mirror and you will love the person you're becoming. I'm done. I, wanna, I, I just want to say a prayer for you, for me, I don't know what prayer looks like for you, but sometimes I just, I, I, I talk, I, I verbalize what I'm wanting. I believe that there's something out there that hears me, that's guiding me, that can help me. And that's what I want. Today, I invite you out there, the source of life, to help me be more of this, more the generous person, more the honest person, less the trickster. Help me to leave a beautiful flavor in people's mouths rather than a sour taste. I pray that for everyone else listening out there. Amen. Well, have a great week, everyone. Hey, let's go light on the trickster this week, hey? Let's be generous people. We'll see you back here next week. We've got another one lined up that's going to hit you right between the eyes. It's in our Becoming series. We hope you'll join us.